So, how you been? I haven't talked to you in a while. You talked to me like a week and a half ago. Is that a while? <laughs> to answer your question is I'm doing great. Awesome. I've been home for almost a week. I'm home for another week and a half. I'm just kind of getting caught up on some stuff, which is awesome. So, yeah, it's good. All is good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Did you enjoy your time in Ohio? Was our fair state kind to you? I, I did. I You know, I went to this place called The Melt. Have you ever been there before? <laughs> Only when I'm stress eating. <laughs> oh, man, that place would be dangerous. That's yes. Dangerous. When you're it's a good place to go before a long Cleveland winter. You know, you want to bulk up. You want to add a few pounds and just kind of eat a 6,000-calorie lunch and then just take a nap the rest of the day. <laughs> That's really funny. So uh, I thought today we could talk a little bit about hiring. I know you talk about that. I know you work with a lot of folks in, in your so, in an so HR capacity. Wait, so, wait, so we're recording already? We started this gig? I record everything. I'm like Richard Nixon. <laughs> I want to try to keep, keep it casual. I don't want it to be too formal. I don't want it to be too formal. Just kind of talk. Just, we're just going to so how, how many times have I told you that I will not talk about politics? <laughs> Well, if I go back to all of our recorded conversations, I can tell you. See how I, see how useful that is. I guess I didn't think like that. Right when we got on to the line that we were recording, I thought we had like a little bit of buffer in the beginning. So I guess people need to hear us talk about grilled cheese sandwiches that we eat while I'm in Cleveland when it's four degrees outside. Well, we can edit all that out. We can edit all that out. But we're always gathering string, right? We're always gathering string. Absolutely. Well, no, 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 no. I, I do think that, that hiring for the landscape industry right now, for a lot of different reasons, but most notably because of the timing of the year, I mean, we're, we're, we're approaching spring in certain parts of the country as we're recording this. I think that hiring is, it's, it's a question that's asked of me quite often, you know, relative to, you know, how do we hire the right people? And obviously, we've even had some industry, you know, situations which maybe you might want to talk about, which has caused that to be amplified the last two weeks, exactly two weeks to the day, I think. So, yeah, so I think that hiring is something that people are asking me about, so I'd love to talk about that today. I think that's something that's it's always on whenever whenever I travel and I say, well, you know, what's what's the challenge, what's going on? It's it's the labor question. How do I find people? How do I find people? And, and with, how do I say this kindly, with the, with the problems that went on with the H2B program the past couple of weeks, you know, shutting down and then uh, kind of, well, we're going to figure it out by the end of the month, and then, you know, to me, it, it's sort of the next iteration or the next chapter in a long, long story about the H2B program, and it's slowly being whittled away. And, sure. You know, I, I wrote, I, for our forthcoming April issue, I wrote about it in my column about kind of how it's, it's a solution, but it's a, it's a bad solution. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the least worst option that, a, that mm -hmm. a company can go with because, you know, when, I think when, I think when you use the program, it's sort of like a last resort. Like, you know, it works, except when it doesn't. And to put all your chips in there is a dangerous thing, in my opinion. But if you, if you don't have another choice, what are you going to do, right? I, I can't agree with you more because I've been, I've been part of this H2B debate for, well, at least seven or eight years. When I was planet president in 2008 and 2009, I actually testified in front of Congress, um, you know, relative to the H2B argument at that point, which was a different argument than what it was than what it is today. And so that argument is changing. It's a pendulum that's changed. That is constantly changing, and it's not something that I think that contractors or anybody that's using the visa program can rely upon. It's not this this dominant, sure fire way to be able to get 
um, workers in the businesses. And so I think that there needs to be other strategies that are in play. Um, you're all eggs in one in one basket comment, you know, rang very true to someone that I, I spoke to two weeks ago on Monday or Tuesday when the, the news hit that the program was being shut down and no new applications were being taken. And literally this business owner said, we can't do any more marketing, we can't do any more sales, we don't even know how you're going to get the work done, and this is a multi-million dollar a year company. We do not know how we're going to get the work done that is already sold. So that's a monumental game changer on a business when the program gets shut down. I, I tell business owners, they can't rely on that. They can't rely on the, the possibility that somebody on Capitol Hill or some you know random judge across the country is going to make a decision that's going to shut a program down, that's going to cause a business that much turmoil in the flash of a pan, right? Right, exactly. And so if that's, if that's kind of off the table, you know, I think the, the HGB problem that, that happened, the shutdown that happened a couple weeks ago kind of, again, put even more, more of a spotlight on this, this challenge of, of hiring. A lot of the folks I talk to, they say, if I could find more people, that's what would help me grow my business. Like, the, the, the market has returned, things are going really well, you know, it's my, my bottleneck is finding the people to actually go do the work for my company, do the production, and that's where the bottleneck is. And I say, and they, then they ask me, like, well, what, what works? And I say, well, you have, you have 75 different options, and, and one of them might work for you, but there's no silver bullet, at least from what I've heard in, in talking to people. Now, you work with a lot of folks. What have you found as far as strategies or, or approaches that, that are effective? Because something's gotta, there's got to be some answer. It may be a different answer for every company, but what are some of the things you've seen that have worked? Yeah, well, I've, I've seen a handful of things work, and they're a little bit out of the box. Um, and I'll get to those in a second. But, but, the, but before I, I do that, Chuck, I'd like to just kind of throw this, this thought process out. And if anybody has heard me speak on the idea of building a team or hiring in the last probably year, they've heard this analogy, and it's kind of ironic because March Madness is going on right now, and obviously my, my team was out as of yesterday at the University of Kansas. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a little bit bruised this, this morning as we're talking, just, you know. Well, so, so, so the, this idea of building a bench, uh, and I tell any business owner that comes into contact with me, whether they're a client or somebody that I'm talking to up on stage, that you really have to have the mentality of building a bench in your business. And oftentimes when I say that, they go, well, wait a second. You mean to tell me that I need to have extra employees that are kind of like on my payroll just in case something happens? And I say, no, 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 no. Because they, they kind of really envision the bench and they envision the fact that a basketball team is five players and then you have all these other players that are sitting on the bench. And the, the truth it's not, of the a, it's not is, a literal bench. It's not a literal bench. There's not a bench out in the out in the um, out in the office, out in the warehouse with like people sitting on them. You, player number seven, go get on that lawnmower. You, go 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 go. Um, right. No, but the, the idea behind it is this, and this this light bulb went off to me when I was talking to somebody on the phone sometime last year in 2014 about their struggles relative to their team, and I was thinking this this kind of thought process that. Most businesses celebrate a, 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 a certain number of holidays throughout the course of the year, um, you know, whether that be Fourth of July or Memorial Day or Labor Day, certainly, you know, things like Thanksgiving and, and Christmas and New Year's and, you know, those businesses celebrate all of these holidays throughout the, throughout the year. And so, you know, depending on, on who you are, that might be five holidays a year, that might be ten holidays a year, it really depends. So right then and there, 
your week goes from five days to four days, right? Because you're going to give those employees off that holiday, right? So your your schedule then goes from five days to four days. Would you agree right. with that, Jeff? Okay. Right. So then, so then you have other factors that come into play, um, such as you know people get sick. People get sick. So then there's another certain amount of weeks throughout the course of the year where your schedule goes from five days to four days, just simply because you have you have attrition relative to people calling in sick or their kids are sick, or maybe they you know they they went out a little bit too much on Cinco de Mayo and they don't come in on May sixth or whatever it might be. That hypothetically, the, the, yeah, I mean hypothetically, hypothetically. Um, <laughs> I'm glad that you added that legal disclaimer in. Um, <laughs> so, but the, but the point is that there's other weeks of things that are completely out of your control where you're going to lose some people just simply because they're not going to come to work. Something's going to happen in their life or their family or their health, but they're not going to be able to come to work. Then you have other situations which everybody in this industry understands relative to weather. That, you know, that in the springtime, I mean, there's some markets that lose two to three days a week just because of weather. So all that to be said is, is that their schedule, their schedule really is on a three to four day a week plan just simply because of those four or five things that I just talked about. Does that make sense? Did I articulate that well? Mm -hmm. To just say that we're yeah. already struggling to get a 40-hour work week in within five business days just simply because of those things. And guess what? All those are known. We know that they're going to happen. We know we're going to have weather. We know that we're going to have holidays. And we know that people are going to have life events that are going to cause them not to be able to go to work. So that being said, why don't we schedule our businesses? We had this conversation actually when I was in Ohio two weeks ago with the group that I was speaking to. Why don't we schedule our businesses to 80% rather than to 100% so that when there is a labor issue, we're getting back to the labor situation, when there is a labor issue, you don't feel it as much. It's not nearly as poignant. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't sting nearly as much. So to build that bench, is is fairly powerful, but then, as I you know said a couple of minutes ago, business owners come back to me and say, "Well, what about the economics behind it?" And the truth of the matter is, is that if you really get down into the you know the the depth of the numbers and you look at the numbers really really hard and you look at that cost of goods sold percentage, um, so the material labor and sub cost to earn a dollar in your business, you almost can't afford not to have a deep bench because the cost of losing a client because you can't do their work is worth more than having a couple of extra percentage points in that cost of goods sold percentage. And I can take any business owner, and if they had accurate numbers, I could you know get it down on the black and white on the paper and show them the impact of that because that's the reason why the majority of the people that I talk to and or work with they build a deep bench for that exact reason, and it does not create. A financial problem in their business, it actually creates a financial opportunity in their business because they're investing in people. And to your point at the beginning of when we started talking, if people, if business owners don't have the people to do the work, then they are in a lot more trouble than trying to figure out, you know, how to get that next sale because that next sale can't even be accomplished because they don't have the people to do it. Would you agree? <clears throat> yeah, I would. I would. And it's it's an interesting, an interesting point because it's a very nuanced kind of point in that it's not just well, sell more work, and it's not just, well, you need to hire more people. It's that you need, as a business owner, to, to fundamentally reapproach how you're setting up your your operation and, and understanding that you can do, you can schedule more accurately based on what you know, 
you may not know when it's all going to happen, but you know you're going to lose time. And so, you, like you're saying, you're not actually building a literal bench. You're not ha having three extra guys sitting around as floaters necessarily, but you're you're understanding the fluctuations better in your in your workload. And and if you're if you're able to do that well, that's where you see a lot of the efficiency, and that's where you're able to kind of move people around and understand and and do that do that well, which is I think a challenging thing to do. Um, it's a very it's a very challenging thing to do because of you know, the question that you asked me, you know, seven or eight minutes ago, it was, you know, Jason, what have you seen that's happened or, or what do you see that's working that's, you know, that's happening out there in the marketplace of, you know, to be able to find, you know, good talent. And, and there's a there's a handful of things that, that I have observed that I've seen that have worked, that I've come up with ideas on my own, um, that have helped business owners find better talent. Because, you know, the, the thing is is that you know, I've been in this industry now for I don't even know, I keep I lose I lose track. I guess almost 30 years, it's kind of scary. No, not 30. Yeah, almost 30 years. Holy mackerel. Gee whiz. Um, and, 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 and labor has always been an issue. I mean, I don't remember a time ever <laughs> I talked to business owners and they said, oh, yeah, I've got way too many people. Or, oh, man, we're flush people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, exactly. That never comes up. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, when you sit, you know, when you sit at the round table, when you go to industry events, or I'm sure you know you from your readers or me from you know consulting clients calling or people that are in my audiences that'll you know message me or whatnot, they they never say, oh, I've got way too many people. In fact, they say, gosh, I need more people. I mean, I talked to a guy earlier this week, or um, so oh, not earlier this week, last week, that said, I need to hire seven people. We've gotten tons of resumes in, and they're all trash. And um, and, and you know he doesn't know what to do, and and so that kind of spawned. It's so funny because when he said, "Well, I've gotten tons of resumes," and I said, "Resumes?" I said, "Really? You've gotten resumes?" And I go, "What kind of positions are you are you hiring for?" And he said, "Oh, you know, for for labor positions, you know, for guys that are going to mow lawns." And I said, and my response to him was, "I said, do you really think that that you know that that guys that that mow lawns have a resume?" I mean that they that they operate in the world of of uh, of, of having a resume. Um, you know, he's like, oh, that's a really good point. And I said, well, the truth is, is that they they just love to work. They're not computer guys like I am, like you are. We don't they don't sit in front of their computer all day long, and that's great that they, that that's the way that they are. And <clears throat> but they don't have a resume. It's not like they have you know a, a CV or a resume that they can you know just fire off because so they're sitting at their computer all the time. And so it's a little right. bit harder for them to apply for a position when a resume is required. Think about that for a second. I don't even know what would be on that. Like what what are you looking for on that resume that's going to qualify them to, to run on a to, to be a crew member on a on a maintenance crew? Absolutely, you know? yeah. Or to or to install hardscapes. I mean sure there there's certainly certifications and um, you know and I'm a big advocate for <clears throat> certifications inside and outside of the industry. Sure. The truth sure. Is, is that is that you're probably putting them into a situation where that, that's an uncomfortable situation in terms of the hiring process. If they have to submit a resume via email, you know, and, and that business owner actually said, "Yeah, Jason, you'd be surprised. A lot of these guys have smartphones, and I don't doubt that at all. They have iPhones or Androids or whatnot." Um, sure. But the truth is, is that is that my guess is is that they are more apt to pick up the phone. And apply for a job via the telephone, then you know sending a, a, an email in with their resume attached. And so, um, mm. so we, so this this phenomenon occurred um, last last spring for me as I was talking to a 
a client in the southeastern part of the United States that was having some struggles trying to get people to respond to their ads online. And we'll talk about places to put ads here in a second. And, uh, and, and I said, well, why don't we just, why don't we have them call in? And their response was, well, I really, number one, we're never in the office, and we really don't want them flooding our, you know, our telephones and having you know, our office manager answering the phone with people that want jobs, because typically those guys you know, want to talk to somebody right then and there. They're, they're, they want a job, they want to come in and interview for the job, and that's kind of it. And I said, bingo, light bulb went off, because what you really need to do is you need to, you need to think about the type of position you're hiring for and what's the easiest way for them to apply and get their information to you. So what we did was, and it worked magically, it worked like crazy to the point where we got, I want to guess, and I do not think I'm exaggerating, like 100 applicants because we changed the way that we required the position, the, the ad, any ad, we changed the way that we required them to apply for the position. What we did was is we launched a Google Voice telephone number, which is free. You don't have to pay for a Google Voice um, phone number. You can get it typically in your area code. Um, you just go to voice.google.com, voice.google.com to, uh, to, um, to get that phone number. You have to link it to an actual phone number, a landline or a cell phone. So what this particular company did is we linked it to one of the business owner's cell phones. And you can turn that off. It's not like the cell phone rings, but it goes into a voicemail box. And we literally set up this high-energy voicemail box that said, you know, hey, thank you so much for calling ABC Landscape Company. We're so excited that you're interested in joining our team. Um, please leave a voicemail as to why you want to join our growing company, um, and we'll get back to you. And it was so interesting, the voicemails that we received. But we received literally 100 of them. We just, cha we just changed that one small thing, rather than email a resume in, Call this mm -hmm. phone number and leave a one-minute-long voicemail as to why you want to work for our company. And, and the phone was a much more comfortable place, I think, for those applicants. And so, therefore, they did it. They called, and we were able to have a bonanza of potential um, new employees. And it's so funny what you can tell by you know somebody's voice inflection and the energy that they have and what they say in a voicemail versus a resume, you actually get to hear a little bit of their personality, you get to hear a little bit about their their fervor, you know, I mean, we had voicemails from guys who were like, hey man, yeah, I've worked in the landscape industry for 20 years, I love working outside, I've, I've mowed lawns, I've done fertilizer applications, I've installed hardscapes, that's somebody that we're, we're relatively interested in versus somebody who leaves, you know, a, a message that just says, you know, hey, I'm a hard worker, um, you know, I show up to work every single day, you know, they don't give any of those details. It was an interesting sure. case study that's occurred. So this idea of creating a phone number where you almost force the applicant to leave a voicemail allows you to also quickly listen to those messages. So you can listen to them from your iPhone, a, a computer, or your telephone. So you can listen to them quickly. It's probably actually quicker than reviewing your resume, quite honestly, because you can tell in the first couple, you know, 10 seconds or so of a voicemail if you're interested in somebody. That worked really, really well down in the southeastern part of the United States. And it's worked really, really well for a lot of other people that I that I've encouraged them to try that methodology. That's interesting because <clears throat> it's funny because when I'm when I've hired editors here, I've used a similar strategy. As I say, you know, I, I have them send in resumes and, and writing samples and stuff. But then my first round is is always phone interviews, and I ask them a couple questions about just about what they've done and what they're looking for and that sort of thing. But but part of it is, one, are you interested enough to pick up the phone and call me? 
for the job? And two, yeah, are you are you interested? Can I tell that you're engaged and, and excited about this opportunity? Um, or are you just kind of, you know, kind of blah on the whole thing and you know, what's what's your personality like? And then it's a, it is, you're right, it's a great way to gauge someone's interest. Um, so that's interesting because I think I think that's exactly the kind of solution that folks need because it sounds like, like you said, you know, you can go back in the archives of Lana Landscape and we've been writing about labor problems for ever since we started the magazine. But, you know, folks always have to be casting that net to gather to get folks in, but I think what I've what I've always counsel people to do is say is to try and cast the best net right so you don't just get a hundred so you get you get a hundred applicants but more of them are good than not you know so you That's don't right. get a hundred you don't get a hundred you know crappy applicants who are just you know who aren't going to work out anyway but you can find the best place to look for them or you can find the best place the best ways to to do that sort of thing um, you know and, and I've seen people write you know work on writing better ads and I've seen people you know work on you know referrals and, and, and trying to identify like the right kind of person for the job first, you know, and try to right. build those build those criteria into the process so that you folks who don't fit that criteria, those criteria don't apply in the first place. Because um, I think there's a lot of work that goes into it on the front end before you even start looking. Um, Absolutely. And I, I think you're exactly right, Chuck. You know, it's so funny that you bring up what <clears throat> what is specifically in the ad because I believe, uh, um, and I know that there's a lot, I mean, there's a hundred different strategies, but I believe that it's almost as if you need to get people to apply for the position. So sometimes I, I do not encourage, you know, putting out a very detailed, you know, I mean, especially for, a, you know, a crew member or crew leader position, a very detailed, big, long, bullet-pointed um, ad, because there might be something in there. You might have a great candidate, that might get intimidated, even though they maybe do. And so I almost say to try to make a more simple ad with some of the key things that are the absolute, you know, like you must have a good driver's license if you're a crew leader. You know, I mean, that's a, that's a requirement right. you need to have a good driver's license. But if it's, you know, I mean, I've seen ads before that's like, you know, you know you've got to fill out daily paperwork and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And you, I mean, all of these things that maybe people wouldn't necessarily know how to do them or that might scare them away, but they're actually a really great candidate. So what you put in the ad is really, really important. And also where you put the ad is really, really important. I'm a big proponent, and I think that most people, you know, kind of know this, either they've heard me say it or they're doing it. I'm a big proponent of using Craigslist actually for finding good talent. And I have found good talent on Craigslist, everything from the lowest positions in a company all the way to the very highest positions in a company. You know, it's not just for really high-end positions, it's not really for, in, you know, entry-level positions. And the thing is, is that Craigslist, believe it or not, most people don't know this, it's the largest employment website in, um, in, in the United States now. It's bigger than CareerBuilder, it's bigger than wow. you know, Monster.com, it's, 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 it's literally more people are putting ads on Craigslist for employment than any other place. Partially because in some markets it still doesn't cost anything. In other markets, there's a small nominal fee, like 25 or 50 bucks. Whereas, you know, in Career Builder and Monster, it's sometimes 300, 400 dollars to put that ad up. Your local mm -hmm. newspaper is three, four, five hundred dollars to put an ad in the classified. And, and the thing that I found is, is that it's so simple to apply for a position on Monster because I've had clients that have advertised on Monster that literally you can just go through and click all these jobs and send your resume 
and you might not even be a qualifier for it. So you're going to get a lot of trash applicants. But I would contend that the majority of people in the um, in the green industry are not looking for positions on Monster or CareerBuilder. Um, they, they, you know, they're looking probably on Craigslist. And I've had the majority of the people that I've talked to have success on Craigslist. And the thing about Craigslist, you know, some people say, well, Jason, I put ads up on Craigslist, I don't get any results. Well, the thing is, you have to be changing your ads. In fact, I was talking to somebody last week about this topic. They literally have five different, very different ads that they put up with very different titles on them, and they're constantly changing them up so that their ads don't get stale. That's been a great strategy for them because they put a new ad up every three to four days. They have a they have an ad up on Craigslist constantly, but their ads don't repeat themselves. You know, but maybe once every you know four to five weeks because they're constantly putting up a much different ad with a much different description and a much different subject line that causes their ads to not get stale, so they're constantly getting applicants. Um, so you know, Craigslist is a very interesting case study in terms of finding good people, and I would encourage that if people are on it and they haven't had success, try changing their ad up, try placing their ad. Um, also, the timing when you place your ad on Craigslist is really important. So you know, try changing your ad up by putting up different ads having an ad up regularly. Sometimes you can also um, you know, pull it down for two or three weeks and just let you know let it go, you know, let it go stagnant and then re-engage with Craigslist. But the thing is is that <clears throat> when you put your ad up is really, really important. So if you think about again, if you think about the type of person that you're looking to hire, typically that person has a job. And so they're working from you know seven AM until four, five, six PM. So would you really want to put an ad up at ten AM in the morning? Probably not. Right because they're, they're working. So the best time to put an ad up for our industry, I think, is 7, 8, 9 p.m. at night, um, or on a, on a Friday late afternoon or on a Saturday morning when they might not be working and maybe getting online. Maybe they're not happy at their current employer. Maybe they're looking for a change or maybe an opportunity to move up in a business. Um, they're not going to be looking at the times that we're working. They're going to be looking at the times that they're not working, if that makes sense. And the way that Craigslist works is, is that you know every ad that goes up after yours pushes your ad down. So make sure that you use keywords such as you know lots of keywords: landscape, green industry, mowing, hardscape, patios, um, irrigation, fertilizer, weed control. Make sure you put those those um, those keywords in the ad because you got to get into the mind of the applicant. What are they going to type into the search box to be looking for a position? Um, if you just put, you know, hiring landscape person, maybe that's not going to get to the right person. They might look, right. they might not look at themselves as a landscape person. They might look at themselves as a lawn maintenance person or a lawn care person. Right, right. I think that's a really good point. Is is trying to think about the job from the employee or potential and the applicant's perspective. One thing that I that I talk about with a lot of folks is saying. What are you really offering this person? To you, it's I need someone to maybe it's I need someone to run to 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 run in this crew, you know. And here are the hours, and here's how much you make. If you show up on time, we're golden. You know, that's basically what I need. And this other person may not view it that way. They may they may see it as just a I just need a gig. You know, I just need some cash, and this is what I do. But you know, I think, and this ties into just kind of the the looking at the landscape industry as a profession and as a as a as a place, as a magnet for talent, not necessarily anything else, is to say, talking about, you know, our employees work here for a long time. You know, this is a this isn't just a job. This could be a career for you. There's opportunity right. here That's for right. you. And absolutely. Um, 
and 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 looking at it like like that and and you know because a lot of folks I think look at the look at their labor force and say well I just these guys are, I need these guys in here to produce this work and that's and that's it and and I think there's an opportunity to really say there's growth here for you you know here's what our company is doing we take care of our people it's a great it's a great job you know but it's a great job that can lead to more and better things for you <laughs> yeah you're and, so right. Chuck, and it's, it's almost, it's so funny because we don't get on these things and we have like notes or, or a, a schedule or an itinerary or an agenda or anything, but you, you totally segued into something that I probably would have forgotten about, um, and that is that longevity in employment really comes down to culture. And I actually talked about this in Ohio a couple of weeks ago, and actually I, th I think that um, your colleague Brian Horn wrote a little, you know, kind of snippet in Law and Landscape on the online version about some of these these things because I was I've been blown away in in recent years when I've gone and visited companies in the landscape industry and I um, and I, I get a list of their team members and I ask how long those team members have been there and, and I, I stumbled upon a company that literally um, it was like 17 years 13 years 15 years 11 years the 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 newest tenured employee had been there for a year because nobody leaves this company. And of course, wow. my curiosity, and I'm sure your curiosity peaked as to why. Why mm -hmm. in the world? You know, because that's un I mean, landscape business owners that are listening to this right now are stretching their going, we don't have employees unless there may be a manager or a salesperson or something like that that have been with our company that long. And um, and what it really came down to and the trend that I found over the last couple of years is I've really looked closely into this is it really comes down to company culture. It does not come down to anything else other than developing just an amazing company culture where everyone in the company is an equal. They're all playing to the exact same tune. Every single day they're beating the exact same drum and that is to just delight in customer satisfaction. Um, mm -hmm. Now there's other things, there's other things <clears throat> that play into that that you know, like like um, I found trends where um, you know health insurance is offered and 401k is offered and different benefits are offered and these are not big companies so don't you know so I know that some business owners are saying gee whiz we're a you know three hundred thousand dollar year company or a million dollar year company we can't afford that I mean I know of a company who does right around a million dollars that is offering a 401k now for the sole purpose of building company culture every wow single person that is on their team, they have, I think, 15 or 17 employees, crew leaders and crew members, every single person thus far has signed up for the 401k. Wow. Why? Why? Because if you really look at employees today, they, they read the headlines just like we do and the fact that, you know, you know, there might not be a retirement for them and they want a retirement. And, and so they're going to invest, you know, a small amount of their pay tax-free into a 401k so they can build value. That's pretty cool. And that builds, that builds this element of employees not leaving, especially when you have a vesting schedule. You know, it, 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 it's interesting because employees, you know, if they understand what the vesting schedule is in a 401k, they realize that if they leave the company, they're going to lose some of their investments, depending on what the vesting schedule is. And so right. it's just it's just that element of, of creating a culture where we want you to stay rather than we want you to leave. I know that's harsh, but it's actually somewhat the reality. 
I think a lot of folks, when you, when you sit down and, and look at, regardless of the size of the operation, you know, one of the questions I ask when I talk about this is, is I say, well, sit down, you know, when you have a little quiet time, sit down and say, if I was coming in off the street, would I want to work here? You know, sure. if, if, I'm, if I'm the owner and, and this is the culture and this is what it's like here, would I want to come in as a new, as a new guy and work at this company? And, and I, hope, I hope to goodness that the answer is more often than not yes, because right. I think a lot of companies do a lot of things right, but I think there's a lot more to it, and I think it takes a little bit of stretching of perspective to say, there are things here that, that don't work really right, or that maybe push people away, or that, you know, maybe there's a, there's a solution to the, to the problem of folks working for a year and leaving, you know, right. and it might not just be pay. You know, I think a lot of folks say, well, I, I, I can't pay these guys anymore. You know, I'm already maxed out the way this works. And, but I think there's a lot more to it, I think. It, and it's softer and it's, it's, it's more difficult to pin down necessarily. But uh, what I say, ask your employees why they work for you. You might be surprised at the answers. It may not be because I make, I make bank, you know, because they probably don't. It may be sure. because it's, they like the guys they work with or they get to take a truck home, you know, or... You know, they get a discount on mulch or something. I don't know, but once you can, I think once you can identify what that is, what people like, then you can take that and, and go to other people and say, hey, lots of people, people like working here because they're supported or because we do cookouts or because there's a 401k and, right. and that kind of feeds on itself. But I, I, but I think that question can sometimes be difficult to ask or difficult to think to ask. Well, yeah, I will totally agree with you. It is difficult to ask. And, and the funny thing is, is that I ask it you know, one of the weird things that's happened over the years is that when I go into a new company that I've got a full agreement, you know, like a full relationship with, I want to meet all the employees. And so I do ask that question. You know, I do, and, and they tell me, by the way, they, they say, oh, this is the reason why I, I love this company. That's the way that I started to learn the value of things like the 401k. I, I, I told this story before, I've got this client who they have a fully stocked fridge. You guys read a little bit about this in, in, on, in the online version. They have a fully yeah. stocked fridge. In their um, in their warehouse that has you know waters and Gatorade and cheeses and frozen dinners and fruit and uh, you know like little uh, those lunchable things and I mean it's yeah. fully stocked all the time. I mean you open it up and it you know I mean literally it looks like a looks like a convenience store in there. And um, and the the business just has determined that that's a, that's an element of their culture that they want to have a stock refrigerator so that if you know, their employees forget their lunch or maybe they're a little short on money. They can just grab something out of that refrigerator and it doesn't hurt the business at all. You know, I mean, the, the, the business, they budget it, they, uh, they manage it, and they, they, they make sure that that refrigerator is stocked virtually at all times and that's for their employees. It's, it, that refrigerator came up on the list when I would ask employees, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, the business owners are really generous. They've got this refrigerator out in the warehouse that they all, you know, they always get a bottle of water or, a, you know, or a Diet Coke or you know, whatever it is that they that they want, and, and we just know that we can do that. We don't have a vending machine back there. We have to put 50 cents in to get a Diet Coke. They have a refrigerator that they just go and grab a Diet Coke. Yeah. Pretty cool when you think about it. Yeah, and and I think from the owner's perspective, not that difficult to do, and not, no, I, I would think I, you're not spending 100 grand a year on Lunchables, probably. No, um, not at all. No. But it's but it's something that shows, it's a small thing that says, that shows, you know, hey, I know you guys get hungry and thirsty, and if you're not hungry and thirsty, you're more productive. And you know, I care about you as human beings. You know, that goes that does it goes a, it goes a long way. And so, yeah, it doesn't need to be super expensive. It doesn't need to be, 
really complicated. You know, one, one thing, one idea I heard Marty Grunder say once is he sends notes home to the families of his employees. No, Marty you know? Grunder didn't say that. I said that. <laughs> I said that. Did you give Marty Grunder credit for that? I'm the one I who don't, said that. I don't know who said it first. I heard him say it. I don't want to cause well, trouble. Well, no, but, just, no, seriously, maybe Marty did do it because I think it's a fascinating idea that I started back probably like 15 or 20 years ago in my own business. So maybe Marty and I did it at the exact same time. But, but the truth is, is that I do think that it's powerful um, because, because at the end of the day, when you send that note home handwritten and it arrives in the mail, who opens it? The person who opens it is, is your employee's family. And then mm-hmm. that, that note gets put onto the refrigerator. And then it's, you know, especially, you know, um, they, the, the kids know about it and the, the husband or the wife or the significant other knows about it. And they can be proud of their, of their you know, mom or dad or brother or sister, whoever it is that works for the company, and say, man, great job because that note's going home rather than being handed to somebody in an employee meeting and say, hey, great job, here's a card for your birthday or here's a card because an empl- a client said you did a good job. You know, so, right. so it is. It's a, it's a, it's a fascinating um, you know, kind of positive reinforcement that extends your, your business back to the home front, which I think is very powerful. Right, exactly, and and that's you know that it gets to another point that I I stress a lot here in the magazine is that you know for the owner, regardless of whether you employ two people or two hundred people, you know you're providing not just for those people but for their families. And I always try to when I talk with landscapers, and, and this gets back to kind of how how you perceive the profession. But you know, as an owner, as a landscape business owner, you really make an impact on a lot of people's lives, your customers, but your employees too. Yeah, you bet. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's generally a very positive impact. And, and I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's inaccurate to say, to take a minute and, and recognize that and, and understand the importance that that company plays in the lives of, of a lot of people. And, and again, to, to bring that home to the employees and and the clients and say, you know, I'm, I I appreciate the opportunity to be able to do this, and I couldn't mm-hmm. I couldn't do this without any of you doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think people appreciate that. At least I appreciate that when I hear it. And I think other folks appreciate knowing that they're part of something and they're not just a cog in something, or they're not re- totally replaceable, or you know that they're important in some way, even if it's a small way. And that's not a, that's, yeah. that's, that just takes you saying it. It's not a you don't have to. Again, cut a big check to to make that happen. I totally agree, and and, and I got to tell you, I mean, I'm so glad you brought that up because it reminds me of an experience that I had. It was 15 years ago. I remember it. Maybe it was 16 years ago, but it was probably 15 or 16 years ago. Where um, this was at a place. I don't want to get into a big long like where I was at in my life, but I was I was not um, I was not somebody that I really liked. I guess I should say because I was okay. so motivated on success. I was so motivated on running. My business. I was, you know, I was, you know, 27, 28 years old. Well, what happened was is that um, I had an important meeting the next morning. I was leaving my office pretty late at night, and I realized I didn't have the landscape plans for that meeting. So I had to call my landscape designer at home, and and ask him, you know, if the plans were at the office. And he said, No, they're not. They're actually in my truck. Sorry, I didn't know you had the meeting tomorrow. So I had to go to his house for the first time and, and pick these plans up like at eight o'clock at night. 
And uh, and I, I so I didn't even know where he lived. I mean, I literally had never been to his house. I knew that he had a wife and had some kids, but I didn't know much about him personally. Um, and I went over to his house, you know, at like eight o'clock at night, and um, and and he and I knocked on the door, and, and I went in, and, and he and his wife were getting all of his kids ready for bed. And so there was a couple of kids in the bathtub, and kids kind of running around. You can kind of relate to that, don't you? Have like eight kids or something like that. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, I can so feel his pain. I, yes, I know. It's, it's yeah. crazy. So, you know, so, so he answered the door, and he goes, hey, hold on. And he, like, literally had a kid in his hand. You know, they just got out of his pajamas and stuff. He goes, hey, hold on. So he had me, he had me sit he had me sit down, like, in their living room while he was kind of rushing around with his wife, kind of putting kids to bed. And for the first time in my life, Chuck, I looked around this, um, this, this home, and I realized, because his wife didn't work, I realized that everything in this home, he had worked for me for a while, Everything in this home was bought with money that our clients had paid our company, and then our company turned around and paid them a salary. And it was this very sobering moment. And then one of his kids comes running down the stairs and jumps on my lap and says, are you the guy that pays my dad money? Literally, are you the guy that pays my dad money? And as much as you're laughing, I was crying inside because I realized that I had, for a period of time, disconnected from that reality of what you just said, that what the actions of what our business was doing was affecting so many other people, including this you know, four-year-old or whatever, or five-year-old that was jumping in my lap asking me if I was the, um, the guy that paid her daddy money. It was this very sobering moment for me where I, and, and, and that, that was a big change agent for me in my life and my career to realize that, that the business wasn't just about our clients, it wasn't just about me as an owner, it wasn't just about our executive team, we were a pretty large company at the time, it wasn't just about, I mean, if we had 200 employees at the time, it was about everybody and all of their families and everybody that was there came to work every single day that they had something at home that benefited from, you know, from what we created as a company, uh, and one of the things that I recognized when I was um, when I was in their home was is that they did not have a dining room table. They had like a card table with some with some chairs around it. And I literally went into my office the next day and I told my assistant to go buy them a dining room set because they deserved that as a family. No, I literally did. I swear. Um, yeah. And um, because because it was this moment when I recognized that what we did as a business affected so many more people than just our clients and just our owners. It affected mm -hmm. all of our employees and their families and their families' families and so many other people. And it changed the culture of our business to make that realization that this was about a lot more than just a client. So your point is very well taken and hit home with me, you know, from 15 or 16 years ago when I went over to that landscape designer's home. That's a really interesting story. And I think to bring it back to our original, kind of what we started talking about, you know, that, that kind of perspective and communicating that to not just the folks who work for you, but who you want to work for you. Like, this is how we approach our team. It is a team. And, you know, we know that we're all in this together. And if you want to join up, that'd be great. We think that your enthusiasm and your perspective and your energy would be good here. And we view you as a vital part of this operation, not just someone who's going to sit on a mower for eight hours a day. Um, right. I think really 
strengthens that bond between the applicant and the company and then makes it that much harder to break, you know, because then when someone comes by and says, hey, I can pay you 50 cents more an hour, there, there's at least a pause when they think, well, you know, I'm really, I really like it here, you know, I really feel cared for here and taken care of, and mm -hmm. then you're not in the same boat again six months later. So, right. man, this is a good one. This is a good one, Jason. We're really hitting our stride with this. I know, right? But, but you know what? I, I think it comes down to, and, and I do think it's good, because I really do think that it comes down to changing, the, 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 having a paradigm shift in the way that you look at people and, and when you're hiring people. And rather than to just look at them fulfilling that succinct need of you know, mowing these eight lawns on a Monday, that they are much of a, they're part of a much bigger plan and element. And the companies that I have seen that don't, Necessary. Everybody, everybody has that need of, of great labor. And the other thing that I say that when you're developing the benches is that if you if you're always constantly hiring and you hire a bunch of A players, well, that it gives you an opportunity to look at your organization as a whole as a whole, and you know, and, and maybe you have to maybe you have to trim some of the some of the C players, you know. And and I know that that's bad to say, but that's the truth. Is that as you're constantly developing your talent. Um, you know, creating culture and having a great training program and realizing that it's, you know, much bigger than, you know, than, than something that's relatively small, it's very, very powerful when you get through that paradigm shift without a shadow of a doubt. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's a good point to make is that it's not, this, this hiring process isn't something that just happens in March. Like, it's, it's something that you're constantly looking at and constantly evaluating and is, is, is each person doing not just what they can do and what they should do, but what, what can they do eventually. And, you know, as the comp your company is always changing, right? And it's something that you're constantly looking at, which I think it makes it that much more challenging, is that it's not something that you can just do and then you're done and then move on. Is Right. You know, it, it, and that makes it, that makes it that much more difficult to actually do well is because you it's something that you constantly have to be, have to be thinking about. And, Evaluating and and you know that's that's a lot of work and I I, I don't want to be glib when I say like you know well, a lot of people say like well you're always always you're always hiring you're always recruiting and you know that that sounds easy but it's really it's really not it's something that takes up a lot of time and energy and attention and but I think is so important because if you can get that piece right that's one major headache that's just out of your life you know it, absolutely it, absolutely another you know another thing that that I I tell people to do because I think that um, you know it's to, and you got to be careful because you certainly don't want to. I, I am zero. I am. I have zero tolerance for you know poaching talent or anything like that. But one of the things that exists is, is that when um, it, is to talk to your vendors about you know the fact that you're looking for good people in a certain division because sometimes um, you know employees come in and they they talk to you know uh, garden centers and. Um, you know, fertilizer, you know, wholesalers and, and whatnot, you know, that they're, they're looking for a new position. So sometimes that's a, that's a great way to, to find talent. And then the, the other one is, is, is networking. You know, I, I've even had business owners that have literally sent um, email blasts out to their clients and their friends and their family saying, hey, our company is hiring. Here's a link to our website of the open positions. And they've gotten great referrals into the company because clients and friends and family know the culture of the business already, know what the company owner is doing, rather than just always making it, you know, kind of um, that inbound, like, you know, you putting that out there and trying to get people to interact with you, you're actually throwing 
send that out to people who, who know you, almost looking for a referral, almost like a client referral, but an employee referral. That's worked really, really well also. Um, the, the third tactic that I've seen you know, work really, really well is to create, just like you have a referral program for clients, they have a referral program for employees where they literally tell the team, um, their existing team, that if you refer somebody into the company and we hire them, um, I, I have one company that says, I'll give, we'll give you $100 if we hire them, we'll give you $100 after they've been here for two months, and we'll give you $300 after they've been here for six months. So if they stay, they throw $500 out on the line to get wow. the referral, and that in and of itself, and, and if you think about it, 500 bucks spread over that period of time, you'd rather pay the kicker of the 300 bucks, you know, at at six months because you know that the person's likely going to likely going to stay at that point you know I mean they've been there for six months and so their performance is good they like you you like them so it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's one of those things where you gotta you gotta approach these things out of the box you can't just uh, throw an ad in the local classified pay a bunch of money get a whole bunch of unqualified people to apply for the job so it's a combination of all of these different strategies that we you know that we that we've talked about absolutely yeah and and I think what you said earlier is, is 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 something that everyone should keep in mind is that once you find that strategy that works, you keep doing it until it stops working, and then you have to try something else. It, it will work for a while, but then for some, you know, it may stop working, and and you have to have this this kind of this tool chest that where you can pull something else out, and like you're saying, different different ads or different places, and but I think the core of it always remains the same. Like you're developing your culture, you're articulating what your company is about, and then you're always talking about it in lots of different places, and you're always trying to bring those people in and constantly looking at it. But I, I talked to a lot of guys who are like, well, like you said, like, well, I tried Craigslist and it didn't work. Like, okay, well, what did you try? Like, try later. Like, well, I don't know. Like, well, okay, just because it didn't work one time doesn't mean it's not going to work again, and doesn't mean that something else isn't going to work either. At the end of the day, you still need the people. So let's keep after it. Well, this was good, Jason. I like this. I think this will be helpful. I hope so. I mean, you know, like, as I always say, I hope so. You know, I, I hope there's one nugget in here that helps a business owner, you know, kind of change their outlook on, on hiring people, or maybe a, a handful of nuggets. But I think there's a lot of different concepts that we've talked about that you brought up um, and that we've, we've chatted about that hopefully, you know, will be, you know, kind of an eye-opener for somebody that will help them through this season. Because you, you said it best a couple of minutes ago, you know, if you if you invest in, yes, it's an arduous, long, you know, time-consuming kind of long-term commitment to finding great talent. But once you have that great talent, you talk to business owners that have amazing talent in their business, and they tell you that, you know, that, that that's just one huge brick that's off their shoulder. Right. Well, good. Thanks so much for doing this today. I, I enjoyed this. Yeah, absolutely. It's always fun, Chuck. It's always fun to start a Monday, start a, start a Monday you know, chatting with you about business concepts. Flattery will get you everywhere, Jason Cup. <laughs>